If you have your Bible, Psalms chapter 32 is where we want to be. We're still kind of talking about this whole idea of following Jesus. What it means to truly follow him. Today I want to talk about follow me and be blessed. In Psalms 32, which we'll get to here in a minute, it says, blessed is the man, blessed is the person. And he says it twice in verses 1 and 2. And a word for blessed in Hebrew is also a word that we're going to talk about, that I want us to understand. Because it's a word that it seems like we as Americans, we as Christians, we as a world, and all over the world, seem to have this idea that if I get certain things, if I arrive at this place, if I can do these things, then I will be truly happy. I've got the secret to true happiness that I want to tell you today. What true happiness really is. You see, if I asked you what it took to be truly happy, what would your answer be? If you say Jesus, that is always the right answer, unless you're talking to Ed and he's asking a question from overhead in the fellowship, Paul. It's a true answer, but there's more to it than just Jesus. He's the best part of it, but there's things we have to do also to be truly happy in Jesus. Uh, It seems like we live in a world where we seek this, we want this, and we can't seem to grab onto it. Even in the Declaration of Independence, it says that we as Americans have the right to pursue what? Happiness. But we don't seem to ever get there. We don't always seem to be truly happy. Even on the radio commercial this morning when I was in my office listening to... uh, on my iPad, the, a Christian radio station, even Orkin had a commercial. And the guy said, I finally got rid of my past, so now I can be truly happy. I thought, no, that's funny, since I'm preaching on it this morning. So getting rid of all the past around will make us truly happy, right? No, not always. You see, I want you to know, and I want us to understand what true happiness really is. So if you have your Bible, Psalms chapter 32, what the psalmist will tell us this morning. I'm going to read all 10 verses because we're going to cover all 10 verses. Don't get excited. It's not going to be any longer than it usually is. But it says this, starting with verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and whose sin or whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Then David says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly Pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach you. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. It says, I will instruct and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing 
all you who are upright of heart. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. Happy is the man. And happy is the man whose sins are forgiven. I truly believe we can find true happiness from what David tells us. Because even though we live in a world that seems to have anything and everything that we can lay our hands on, even though we live in a world that we can worship freely, even though we live in a world I can carry a Bible around no matter where I go, we live in a world where happiness just seems to be just out of reach for so many people. I mean, you watch the news and you read the news about all the people that you would think, how could they not be happy? And you look at movie stars, and you look at athletes, professional athletes, and all the money, all the cars, all the houses, all the things that they have, yet when you really talk to them, it's never enough. They're never truly happy. And that's why you read of suicides, that's why you read of all these things, because they truly don't understand what true happiness is. You see, the main theme of the book of Psalms is happiness is being blessed by God. Because it starts out, blessed is he, or happy is he who has these things. I want you to understand this thing being blessed, or this thing being happy, is not this superficial buzz that we get by different things in life, because we're excited about it, or we truly like it. I mean, when I leave a leadership summit like I went to on Friday afternoon, And even though I've got to drive three hours home in Friday Chicago traffic, I leave on a high. I leave with this buzz. And, I mean, that's all I'm thinking about on the way home. All the things I was uh, told and the things that I wrote down and all the things I tried to wrap my minds around, I leave on this buzz. But this happiness David talks about isn't that kind of thing. What David is talking about is a deep foundational truth. It's something that we have to understand. It's a foundation of contentment and joy in our life. So in your line it says this, blessed by God means we find true happiness. Because we're blessed by God. It's because what we have in Jesus Christ. And King David gives his belief and his experience and his advice in these 11 verses. And I love these 11 verses Because David knows the secret to happiness. David understands that the secret of happiness is because God restores a right relationship within us between us and him. Get that. It's a relationship that he restores. He's not going to restore a religion. He's not going to restore all these things. He's going to restore this relationship between us and him. Verses 1 and 2 says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Catch that. Our happiness is because God forgives our sins. We're happy or we should be happy because our sins are covered. So the forgiveness of sin is the secret because it restores us to a right relationship with God. We cannot come truly into the presence of God unless we seek forgiveness first. Unless we seek God to forgive the sins that we have. Why? Because our holy God cannot be in the presence of sin. 
So we've got to seek that forgiveness first and foremost. And David explains that. David tells us that because of all these things. So what I want you to understand is that David understood this incredible truth in so many ways. I mean, you read through the Psalms and you find out everything David did. He was a man after God's own heart, but yet he still sinned. He still fell short. He still made mistakes. But it doesn't mean that God still didn't love him. Understand this in verses 1 and 2. Forgiveness is available. And what I love about this idea and this thought is that forgiveness is available to anybody and everybody. It's for you, me, as believers. It's for those who don't believe, who don't understand, that forgiveness is there for them. See, maybe we take it for granted a lot of times. But it is really not all that obvious as it should be for us as Christians, especially because we think, well, I was baptized so many years ago, so I'm forgiven, so I don't have to worry about it anymore. I might throw up a prayer here and there, maybe before I go to sleep at night. You know, God, forgive me. No big deal, because that's what God is supposed to do, right? But David, I think, does this a little bit more. It's something we need to seek out. It's something we truly need to understand because... It is available. In verse 1, David uses the word transgressions are forgiven. You see, transgression is the breaking of God's law. A transgression is an act of rebellion against God. And we do an act of rebellion in the world today. When we break a law today, what do we expect? We expect punishment. The Old Testament says that uh, the sacrifices were needed to atone for those sins. So David understood what it took to be forgiven. But David doesn't understand quite yet. Because he lives in the Old Testament that one day Jesus will die for us and shed his blood for our forgiveness for that sacrifice. But David still understands what it means to be forgiven. Then again in verse 1 he says the sin is covered. That sin which is an offense to God. It's offensive to him. It's a kind of a foul, garbage smell to the nose of God. And you know what I mean. If you've ever been to a dump on a hot summer day, I mean, it's nasty. Or you go to a dumpster, and you lift that lid on a hot summer day, and it's like, oh, that's what sin is to God. And understand, when garbage begins to stink in the house, what do we do? Why don't we tell ourselves, I'm not going to let it stay that long next time, but It needs to be taken out. It needs to be thrown away. It needs to be burned. In verse 2, the sin, the iniquity in the Hebrew says that the Lord does not count it against them. I love that. It tells me God isn't up there keeping score of my sins and my failures and my shortcomings. God's not up there saying, well, Kurt, Kurt did it again. Oh, he did it again. He did it again. He said, it's not counted against me. I'm forgiven. It means that the moral perversity and the twistedness of the world, because understand, it is our built-in desire, okay, as humans. It is our built-in desire to do wrong. I know you're going to say, well, not me. Yeah, it is. Because that's the way it is. 
It's our built-in desire to do wrong. And David understands that God can cancel that debt when we do wrong, when we do fall short. He also understands that the moral debt can't just be canceled by someone. Somewhere, somehow, somebody has to pay for that sin. And again, David doesn't yet quite understand what's going to happen in the future yet, that Jesus will come and Jesus will die for us, but he understands forgiveness. He doesn't understand the advantage of the cross. He doesn't understand the advantage of what Jesus is going to do for us. Yet he understands that God revealed himself through people. Even David understands that God revealed himself through Moses, where it says, The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. He understands God can do that. Not only for David, but for us. And that's what I love about this. You see, we as Christians can rightly claim to be the possessors of true happiness because Christianity is the only faith in the world, catch this, which takes sin seriously and offers a satisfactory remedy for it. But let me ask you this. Do we truly take sin seriously? Let me ask it this way. Do we truly take sin seriously in our lives? I'm going to take sin seriously in Scott's life because that's Scott or Dwayne or anybody else. Dale, man, I'm going to take your sin seriously, but don't, don't do it to me, okay? Do we take sin seriously? I was at this church over the weekend or this last week, Willow Creek Community Church, a church of 25,000 people on a weekend. A guy by the name of Bill Heibel started the church 45-some years ago. Started in a home, went to a garage, went to a movie theater. Then they built their first building on the site where they're at. Over the last several months, it's come about that he's been accused of sexual harassment, inappropriate things with women, and he has yet to come forward and say, yes, it happened. And he's been released from the church. He's been released from the Willow Crypt Summit. He's been released of all of his responsibilities. And the speakers this week made reference to different things. But here's what I noticed. I ate lunch with a, a husband and wife that attends Willow, and they had smiles on their faces, and we just plain out asked them, how's the spirit at Willow Creek? The guy looked at me, and he had flown Bill Hybels and staff members all over the world. He said, Bill always said the church is the people, not a person. And I said, so you're going to find out here in the next few months how true that really is. He said, absolutely. And you see, this is what taking sin seriously is. That we understand that we have sin in our life, that we have sin around us, and that, yes, we are built to go towards that sin. For some reason, we continue to do that. But we also have to understand, we also have to remember that God is a forgiving God. So why then are so many Christians so miserable so much of the time? Why do we always seem to have grapefruit for lunch and grapefruit for lunch supper and we always have this sour look on our face just because we didn't get our own way when we have the greatest thing known to man and that is a God who forgives? Perhaps you notice the one problem in these verses for which no remedy is given. Look at verse in verse 2. Happy is the man whose spirit is no deceit. 
Okay? This is the key. There's no remedy is given for this because the remedy is down to us. There's no remedy for the deceit. The deceit refers to the same that is written in John 1, 8, where it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We deceive ourselves. Do you see it? The only thing that can interfere with my forgiveness, therefore, the only thing that's going to interfere with my happiness is my deceit. Me lying to myself that there's no sin in my life. And my deceit is the insistence that I don't need forgiveness. That I don't need to ask God to forgive me of my sins. If we claim to be without sin, it says, I deceive myself. The only remedy for this deceit, the only path to true happiness, is what John says next in verse 9. In 1 John 1, 9. John says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Catch this. The true aspect, the true secret to happiness is that true forgiveness is available. It's there for the taking. But we so often seem to want to fall short of happiness because for some reason we deceive ourselves by saying, I don't need this forgiveness of my attitude. I don't need my, any forgiveness for my anger. I don't need this forgiveness for all the things I have in my life, but I'll sure point it out to you. And we deceive ourselves. You see, the only thing that interferes with my forgiveness or my happiness in verse 3 and 4 is my deceit. Make sure we understand that. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive So the secret of happiness is that true forgiveness is available, but don't fall short. Seek that forgiveness. So understand in verses 3 and 4 what he's saying. He's saying there is despair in concealed sin. That there's going to be despair in our life. In other words, we're not going to be happy as long as those sins are in our life. In verses 3 and 4, you see the misery that is concealed. He says this, David says, When I kept silent, My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Man, there's a lot of imagery there. Because of the sin and the weight of sin, it says, man, it was like the hand was on me. Holding you back. Or you're trying to walk, you're trying to go in life, and somebody has a hold of your belt trying to hold you from keeping you going where you need to go or want to go. And it's that kind of thing that all day long we moan and we groan. And I'm not talking about the moaning when I stand up, when I get up and say, oh, because my knees hurt or my back hurt. Not, not, not that kind of moaning. It's the moaning that's deep down inside. You see, from the time of Adam and Eve, from the very beginning, our reaction to sin seems to be to hide from God. I mean, what did Adam and Eve do when they sinned? They hid. Wanted to play hide-and-seek with God, the all-knowing God, and God's just up there going, are you kidding me? You know, I see you. I see exactly where you're at. The instinct is built into us at a very young age. A guy by the name of Robert Winston did this experience with little kids, about three or four years old. 
What he did is had these parents bring these kids into a room, had a table that was just their size and where they could sit at it, and he put this chocolate cake right in front of them. And he said, no matter what you do, do not touch, do not eat this cake. I don't care what happens, I don't care what goes on, do not eat this cake. He goes, I'm going to leave for a little while, we'll come back, we'll have cake, but do not touch or eat this cake. So he leaves the room, goes behind a glass where he can watch, and every child that he went through this with, when he came back in the room, had cake and icing on their hands, on their face, and obvious the cake had been touched, had been eaten. He asked every one of those kids, did you eat that cake? What was their answer? No. No. And you're going, now, that's, it is no. The proof was right there in front of them. The proof was on their face. It was on their hands. But every one of them denied eating the cake. We laugh at the kids. That's what we do also as Christians. We deny we did that. We deny we sinned. We deny all these things. Every one of them. And this is what David experienced in verses 3 and 4. He knew of some sin in his life. We're not told what exactly. We know the big ones later, but right here we don't. But it says he kept silent, and it made him thoroughly miserable. He was used to enjoying intimacy with God. He enjoyed the quiet times with God, but now instead of finding that God's arms embraced him and welcomed him, it says that he found God's arms pushing him, pushing him, pushing him away. And it says it was heavy upon him. And he said David's bones wasted away. In other words, his depression was so overwhelming, he couldn't eat, he had no strength, he was groaning all day long. Folks, I'm telling you right here, right now, sin will eat you alive from the inside out if we let it in, if we don't do anything about it. But also look at verse 5. The relief of confessed sin. Verse 5, David says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you. See, all this took place. David was a man after God's own heart. Man, he's almost wasting away. He can't eat. He's sick. He can't sleep. He's depressed. And all of a sudden he says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you. A lot like the prodigal son in Luke 15 where the prodigal son finally came to his senses and said, you know, I could be home sitting around my dad's table. Even being a servant is better than being with these pigs. And David says, what am I doing? David says, why am I suffering? I could be enjoying my time with my father. So what does David do? David confesses his sin. So understand this. He confesses his sin, number one, primarily to God. To God first and foremost. The one who is most offended by our sin. Understand, you don't have to do it to a person. You don't have to confess your sin to a preacher or to an elder or a board member or anybody else. Primarily to God. And number two, it was specific. It just wasn't a general unworthiness or a, a general unholiness. But David was specific of his sin to God. He not only confessed his sin and iniquity, but each individual transgression. In other words, he confessed the many sins that was in his life. 
I also want you to understand this. David didn't have to earn his forgiveness. He didn't have to earn it. There was no penance to be paid when he confessed. David confessed, and what happened? Boom, he was forgiven. Right then, right there. There is nothing we can do to make it up to God for our sin. That is why Jesus died on the cross for our sins. If we take the cross seriously, then all we need to do is accept God's forgiveness and be thankful. And that's what we need to do. Come before him. Confess our sins. And just please do me a favor. And I'm guilty of this when I'm in a hurry. We just kind of go before God and say, God, forgive me my sins. I'm going to go on my way now. Take time. Be specific. Give it to God. Here's some David's advice for you in verse 6. First, confess them urgently. Verse 6 says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Remember what I said earlier? Forgiveness is available. But David says, do it now while God can be found. One day, one day forgiveness is not going to be available. One day when Jesus, when he returns, it's going to be too late. The longer we live with, the longer we live in sin, the less inclined we will be to come to him for forgiveness. Because when sin becomes part of our life in such a way that we get used to it, that we actually begin to like it, because what we say a few months ago, sin is what? Sin is fun. And who doesn't want to have fun, right? But when it gets to that point, we're not going to be as inclined to come before him. Number two, confess them willingly. David willingly came before him. Because he says in verse 9, Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by a bit or a bridle, or they will not come to you. Okay, don't be like the stubborn horse or the stubborn mule. That has to be, have a bridle in its mouth and has to be led to do that. I guarantee you, if you're in that position, your heart is not even ready to be in the presence of God. And he says, we need to do this. And in other words, don't be stubborn. Don't be like David was at first, where he refused to come before him. Now, I want you to understand. I've kind of hit something, and I just want to make sure we understand this, that you know, David, I mentioned David was so down in his sin that there was this depression that he had in his life. I want you to understand that I don't always believe sin is the cause of depression, okay? In my years of EMS, my years working in the hospital, I saw a lot of people depressed. I've talked to people off of bridges trying to jump, okay? I've gone into houses where people had guns before police went with us on fire and EMS runs, the gun was laying on the table right in front of him, and I go bebopping in the door like a young EMT thing, I'm going to save the world, and that gun is laying right there. And you try to talk about, okay, there's some things that we are depressed about in the world, maybe it's different things, but I just want you to understand that even Job in the Old Testament, who had done nothing wrong, People were telling him, just kill yourself and die. You know, because they thought he was going through these things because of sin. Uh-uh. 
It's because of God was putting him to the test. Okay? So depression doesn't mean there's all this sin in our life. I want to make sure we understand that. You can be one of the best people in the world and still be a little depressed. Okay? You can be a child of God and still be depressed. You can go to God and ask forgiveness and still be depressed because there's other things that cause that. So understand that. Proverbs 28, 13 says this. He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. The secret to happiness is Jesus, is being blessed by him, being forgiven by him. You see, as churches, and let me add to that, and as a church, we need to be once again brought to this obsession with sin. And what I mean by that is this. We need to truly recognize the sin that is in our life or else we're never going to find true happiness. We're never going to find what it truly means to be what God wants us to be. So let me ask you this. If we were to take this sin idea seriously, if we as Christians actually started going before God and saying, you know, God, I'm going to lay this before you because I know it's in my life and I need for you to take it, and we lay it at the foot of the cross and we refuse to pick it up and take it with us, like we, so many times we do. We say, we'll leave it at the foot of the cross, but we tie a string to it, and we let it follow us around, you know. It's always there because we refuse to let it stay there. What's the end result of true forgiveness, of taking sin seriously, of finding true happiness? What's the end result? David tells us in verse 11. Catch what he says. Rejoice in the Lord. And be glad your righteousness, seeing all of you who are upright of heart. The result is rejoicing. That we will rejoice in God. We will rejoice in what Jesus has done for us. We will rejoice in the forgiveness that we can receive. And I want us to understand right here this morning that this forgiveness is for everybody. This forgiveness is for no matter what you have done. This forgiveness is, I don't care where you're at in your walk with Christ, where it's just beginning or you're kind of in the middle or maybe man, you're at that point in life where you're not sure tomorrow is even going to be here because of our age and all those things. But I also understand even at 53, I may not be here tomorrow. I understand that. Trust me, after driving through Chicago traffic twice, I understand that wholeheartedly. But you know what? No matter what I do, no matter where I go, I want to make sure that my true happiness is found in Jesus Christ and Him alone. I don't care what Satan wants to throw at me. I don't care what Satan tries to do to me. I don't care about all that stuff. My happiness is going to be because I'm going to go to God the Father and lay my sins before him and walk away and let God bless me and then I will be truly happy.